Hi, everybody. I'm Aaron Solomon, and welcome to a new episode of the Next Level Podcast. We've got a fantastic guest with us today, all the way from Stockholm, Sweden, Raya Buchanan. Raya, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here, Aaron. So I'd love from your website, and believe me, we're going to talk a lot about your company, but I want to talk a little bit about you first. In your website for the company called Gigapay, there's this thing that I really love. It said, um, our team often describes Raya as an inspirational achiever and someone who makes you believe anything is possible. She can quickly spot a good opportunity and a great idea. So this certainly rings true with how I've followed your career over the past you know, 12 to 15 years. Um, I think that's a wonderful compliment and it certainly has been shared by others as you were part of the inspiring 50 for the Nordics and uh, Ladarna brought you up as one of the future female leaders for last year, which I thought was interesting because I think you've been a female leader for many years. <laughs> Nonetheless, <laughs> congratulations. Yeah, thank and you. What do you think of those words? I mean, what is it about you and about your career that's made you so great at spotting opportunities and kind of being on the right side of the curve at the right time? Well, firstly, thank you so much, Aaron. I mean, that's a, a huge compliment from you. And to be honest, I didn't actually remember or realize that was written on our website. So um, <laughs> I guess one of my colleagues wrote something very nice about me, which I, I'm really grateful for. Um, for, for me, I'm, even though I live in Sweden, I'm from New Zealand originally. And um, I think whenever you sort of move to a new country and you start out and you try and create this whole new life for yourself, like I did when I first moved to Sweden in my sort of early 20s, um, you st sort of stop seeing these limitations and you start seeing more possibilities. And I think one of the key things when it comes to these possibilities is uh, finding the right people who can help support you with that um, and making sure that you get a lot of energy from the things that you're doing as well. Is it fair to say that when you moved to Sweden, and this is certainly my recollection, and please correct me if you think I'm wrong, the Swedish startup and tech community was relatively teeny. Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely. That I think at that time, it was mostly everyone was talking about Skype. And of course, Skype is not just a Swedish-only um, invention, but I think at that point, that was very much the sort of the poster child of the uh, sort of mid uh, 2000s. Um, and since then, of course, there's got these amazing giants that have come out of there, Spotify, Klarna, um, iZettle, just to name a few. Um, and there's a new generation coming out of it too. So it's a really exciting time to be in Sweden, I would say. So I remember Spotify. I remember Spotify's very early offices were very, very tiny. And they yeah. weren't far, if I, if I remember correctly, they weren't terribly far from the um, Ostermom Saljuhal either. They were just these little offices. And of course, they became this global giant. You must have seen so many companies grow to scale uh, in Sweden. And that must have been a really, I think, motivating thing for you as an entrepreneur and as a leader. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, my career, the the path that I've cho chosen to take in the last 10 years has been focusing within fintech, so financial technology. Um, and I started, the, the way that I sort of stumbled across fintech was when I was working at a creative agency called House of Redon. And one of our uh, biggest customers was Ericsson. 
Um, and of course, Ericsson being this major powerhouse for the Swedish economy, um, especially at that point, um, was an exciting client to have. And they had recently released a mobile wallet or uh, M wallet um, campaign, which we won. And at that point, uh, I was exposed to this really exciting possibility of what both technology and finance could enable all the way from sort of sub-Sahara desert to what was happening in US at that time uh, was Square. And at that same point, I learned that there was a company called iZettle that was doing exactly the same thing as what Square was doing or trying to do the same thing what Square was doing. Um, and I got really intrigued. And from that point, um, I got exposed to iZettle and then I sort of jumped on that ship. And I think the rest is sort of where I helped me get to the point where I am right now. Yeah, iZettle was definitely a very, very interesting company. And again, you know, people who don't have exposure to the European startup scene and the European tech scene, it's pretty amazing how much kind of, you know, intellectual firepower can get behind some of these companies because, you know, in a city like Stockholm or Berlin, where I was living for approximately four years, the scene is very powerful, but it's still relatively small when you compare it to other capitals around the world. So it's great to be able to have people like you to, you know, get around these companies and help them scale. Um, so what do you think your, your biggest learning was from your first fintech startup experience? I, I think that for me, I, I found it really inspiring. And for me, I would say seeing how these founders were able to grow and scale this amazing uh, fintech beast in a relatively short time period was extremely inspiring for me. And having that, seeing what both Jacob and Magnus did, and then moving on to another fintech called Bambora, uh, where a similar sort of story happened, it really inspired me to think, okay, I can do the same thing. The, there, there, is, there are more possibilities than I think that are out there, and it's just about finding the right people to help support me to do that. Um, so, so yeah, I would, I would say that, because if you think about finance, then a lot of it's about uh, regulations and compliance. And when you look at a market um, like Sweden, which is relatively small, there's only 10 million people here, um, to really make it big, then you can't just be operating in the Swedish or the Nordic market. Um, but then every single European market has different uh, regulations um, uh, that you need to comply with as a financial institution, even though there might be some shared, um, uh, what do you say, directives that that can go from from market to market, and then when you add on wanting to expand to Latin America or Southeast Asia, which I've done with other companies, then it becomes this really sort of complex space that you need to have a very sort of positive mindset on how you're going to be solving those those issues. I would say. I think the positive mindset comment is 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 brilliant because that's really what it's all about. There are so many advantages of being in a relatively small startup community, but you know, getting talent, getting people who have that similar worldview, uh, and and being positive about everything is critically important. So now we find you as CEO of GigaPay. And I, by the way, think that GigaPay is absolutely in the right place at the right time. So GigaPay is a company that helps gig workers get paid better, correct? 
Yeah, exactly. I, I would say it's kind of like Venmo for salary payments um, in the way that you get, uh, we help platform businesses pay their task-based workers instantly, but all the taxes, insurances, and pensions are baked into that. Um, because if you think about the whole gig economy and the whole future of work, and especially coming out of the pandemic as well, there's a lot more people that are taking this new form of employment. Um, the the sort of the protection for the worker and the compliance that's required for on the platform side, um, there's a lot of things that still need to be improved and still need to be uh, caught up. Um, so we're really solving that that issue i would say that's quite unique to this new form of work it really is and even i mean definitely the pandemic has changed things but even before the pandemic you know this has been happening and what's interesting is there was a company that i'm sure you've heard of called clearbank and clearbank pivoted so now clearbank is actually this they're called clearco and they're this massive basically almost like a VC, a massive funding company but when clearbank began back in like 2015-2016 they were trying to get uber drivers paid faster. Mm. So this was, I think, really kind of when this, when a lot of international attention focused on this space. Um, so tell me about what you see, because the future of work thing is fascinating to me. I know it is to our audience as well. What do you see as kind of the big delineation, not only coming out of the pandemic, but you saw a lot of changes, I'm sure, about how we were going to work in the future, even before the pandemic began. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just going back to this sort of earlier, um, I guess, gig uh, platform businesses uh, like Uber or Airbnb um, or Fiverr, they really enabled a new way for workers or people to start um, earning an income. Um, and what we saw, though, is that even though that they were able to generate an income through these platforms, um, there was there was and there still is this uh, insecurity for these workers uh, because they don't have the same sort of security nets that you would expect um, as a full-time employee. And what I mean by that is having access to uh, pensions, insurances, and things like that. Um, so while as a, as a traditional employee, uh, it's, you get a lot of uh, fantastic benefits. You can't expect the same sort of benefits in the same way um, as a gig or a task-based worker. So sure. I think there fundamentally needs to be changes on how uh, different companies and even from like a, from a governmental or legis legislative perspective can support this new form of work. Um, so that's really the, the area that I'm most excited about uh, right now is how how coming out of the pandemic um, are we going to be able to support this new form of work um, because it's also better for uh, companies as well um, and, and what I mean by that is that instead of uh, large organizations uh, having to get a be, become really um, sort of headcount heavy and have a, a lot of employees that they're trying to figure out, okay, how, how are we actually going to utilize them uh, during the, the tenure of them being within the company, uh, focusing more on short uh, projects instead. 
so hiring people more for the for the skills that they have for a certain project that needs to be done rather than sort of hiring some time for and making it very difficult for them to actually leave too um, because if you think about how it is in Sweden, once somebody's employed and they've got a permanent contract, it can become pretty difficult to to let them go as well. Exactly, as is the case in places like France, where it's very, very difficult, and Germany, of course, uh, not as much here in North America. Now, one thing that I think the pandemic is going to change, I'm interested in your opinion on this, is you have some of these large kind of gig economy companies. Let's pick Uber as one. Uber from day one has always said, you know what, we're not a, a transportation company at all. We're not taxis. We're simply a technology provider. And courts for a long time have, to an extent, got along with this. And I think the pandemic is going to change a lot of this. I think that courts around the world are going to start to hold these companies to being exactly what they are. And that's going to bring about the kind of change that GigaPay is going to be able to help with when companies can't hide behind, well, we're not really a you know, transportation company. We just have an app. What do you think about that? Do you think that you see as well this kind of change happening with how these companies will be defined? Is it only going to be a voluntary change on their part? Or is it going to be governments and courts that say you can't do this anymore? I, I definitely see that the, the change has already started. And you see, for example, like what happened with Deliveroo in the UK or Glovo in Spain. And the, the pressure is on these platforms to see the workers who engage um, and complete work through their platforms to actually be employees of those um, of those platforms and I don't uh, personally I don't see that as the the right way completely to solve it but I can definitely see why uh, the courts um, and local governments see the need to sort of put pressure back onto the platforms um, and why do I say that well one when you think about gig work and gig economy one of the benefits is that the gig worker has the ability to move from platform to platform can choose how and when they're going to be working and when a gig worker becomes an employee of one certain platform then it becomes a lot more difficult uh, for them to move to other platforms and to choose how and when they're going to be working. Um, and then just to add on top of that, for me, gig work is not just about the people that most people see out on the streets, so uh, delivery people or uh, cleaners or uh, car washers or anything uh, like that. I mean, the gig, gig economy is much bigger than that, and that can also be a lot of uh, digital work that's been completed, influencers, creators, and things like that. And that's really part of the... Um, the sort of uh, future of work um, space that we're focusing on um, because we see a lot of really interesting movements happening more within the digital workers and the creators and the influencer space rather than, um, as you sort of rightly mentioned, Aaron, those that um, are really being cracked down on right now. So the Ubers and the deliverers of the world. So it, it's very interesting that you mentioned that because you see a lot of countries, and I saw this in Germany, where they're going to kind of like almost like a digital residency for digital technology workers, people who are creators, to be able to live in these countries and create. So I agree 
that there's a lot of people that we don't see in the digital economy, a lot of people that the press doesn't talk about that are so important. And the role that GigaPlay can play in that is very interesting, very important, I think. Yeah, and, and just one, one thing to add to that is there's, there's a really exciting, uh, well, at least from my perspective, an exciting directive um, on a European level, uh, Duck 7, uh, where, which will come into effect, I think, is it 20, uh, 2022, um, actually 2023. And what it is, is that it's looking at how uh, these platforms, how they can, what, how can they uh, correctly uh, declare taxes for both the gig workers and also for any services or products that are provided through these digital platforms. Um, because I think a lot of income is not being uh, is not being obtained right now uh, for these European countries, um, and there's a lot of things that have been done to avoid paying taxes as well. So by having this Duck Seven, um, there's a lot of I, I would say a lot of exciting um, changes that will need to take place that will lead to a greater maturing of uh, digital platforms, and not just just gig platforms, but all sorts of digital platforms within the EU. That makes perfect sense. And I think it's such important stuff that you're working on, really. I want to go back to some earlier times. So you literally moved halfway across the world. If you look at a map, you know, New Zealand to Stockholm is pretty much halfway across the world. And you, know, you talked a little bit about that adjustment period. But what was kind of, once you got to Sweden, what what about Sweden and what about Stockholm really appealed to you? I've lived in Stockholm for a bit and I've really felt that allure because I think that, you know, when we talk about digital workers and we talk about, I, I think that coming out of the pandemic, particularly global movement is going to be easier than ever for a lot of people. So what were some of the things, the thing positive and maybe not so positive things that you experienced being new in Sweden? You can include language as well. If you like learning Swedish, I know is not easy for anybody. Yeah, my, and my, to be completely transparent, my Swedish is still not <laughs> it's still not fan, fantastic, Aaron. Um, but I would say, so I moved late 2007, so that's quite a long time ago now. And um, I think, of course, it wasn't easy, and moving to a new country is never easy, um, especially when it's so far away from, from where, you, where you've grown up. Uh, but I think like one of the advantages that I had, though, was that I was still uh, relatively young. So I think I was 23 um, when I moved to Sweden. And uh, at that point, I had finished university. Um, my, my first degree was in performance music. So I, from the age of two until I was 20, that was going to be my career, to be, um, to be a violist. So I started playing the violin when I was two years old. Um, and my parents sort of had this idea and dream that I would become a, a performance uh, a violinist and violist and play in the orchestra. Um, so I think, you know, when you're in your early 20s, being able to move away from your parents and, and really create your own identity is definitely uh, very appealing. Um, so I would say, if I was to be honest, that was, a, that was a driver for me because then I could really carve out this sort of life that I wanted for myself. Um, and at that time, Sweden and Stockholm seemed like a great place. Um, and the way that I kind of got into the area that I'm working in right now is that I actually had a blog 
um, about living in Sweden and moving to Sweden. And I just started learning about uh, digital marketing uh, myself because I found it so sort of interesting. And then I got a job and sort of like a, um, at a digital marketing company and things started moving more and more into that direction. Um, and it was just, a, I would say it's just a really great time to be living in Stockholm because there was just so much that was happening and starting um, and people were pretty, um, I would say they were pretty open-minded and uh, experimental when it came to things uh, when it, um, uh, within, within tech. Um, and I think, Aaron, actually one of the ways that you and I first got, uh, um, got to know each other was through Twitter. Exactly. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yep. exactly. And this is like early, late 2000, early 2000, 2007, early 2008. Right. I started getting really like active into the whole Twitter thing. I even started something called Tweets Meetup with a, with a few of the other guys um, here in Stockholm. I think there were about 80 people in the whole of Sweden at that point who had, who had Twitter. And I think it was a very unique time because if you think about it from the lens of 2021, it doesn't really feel like that was even possible at that time, you know, because you have so many other social media platforms um, that have enabled so much now. Um, but back in uh, 2008 uh, was tw Twitter, Tweet Meetup, and then there was also Twistival as well that I was active with. Um, that was a really sort of large fundamental part of my life. And that helped me get into touch with so many fantastic tech people here in Stockholm. So it was quite serendipitous, I would say. I really like what you say about Twitter, especially in the beginning, because I mentioned this. I was actually a guest on a podcast last week, and we were talking about Twitter. And I said, you know, there's so many people that I knew from Twitter. In fact, I had a guest on my podcast a few weeks ago who is an American who lives in Stockholm, Christopher McCann. Maybe you've run across him at some point. And I got to know him originally through Twitter as well. And then we met when I lived in Stockholm. And he was, I think, one of those also fairly early adopters. It's great how a technology can bring people together the way that Twitter did in the beginning, at least. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, just a sort of a personal anecdote from that is that my husband that we've been now married, or we've been together for 12 years now, um, but I actually met him through Twitter in Stockholm oh. <laughs> as well. <laughs> so it's, uh, I mean, I would say on a, on a very personal level, it's been a fantastic, it was very fantastic to be part of that um, really early on. Well, that does um, sound great, yes. Yeah, but, but I think just going back to what you say, um, or what you asked Aaron about moving to, to Stockholm and the ease, I mean, for me and in my career and what I often think about when it comes to when it comes to success it is a lot there, there will always be difficult times in anybody's lives and for me you only have one life so why dream small and why go on the road that everybody does why not do something that you personally find motivating? And of course, you're going to fall along the way. You just have to get yourself back up and try harder and you have to push yourself. And that's what I've always tried to do in my career um, because there have been difficult times where it hasn't gone exactly how I thought it would go, but you just have to get yourself back up. You have to keep on pushing yourself ahead and just stay positive, I would say, and make sure that you have the right people around you to support you in, in that journey. 
And on the stay positive piece, I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, their self-image is very different from their public persona or how they're perceived publicly. And I think that's a very good thing. Uh, not that people don't feel as good about themselves as others might, but I've had many conversations with entrepreneurs over the year where if you would say to other people, how do you feel about them? How do you gauge their success? The outside, outsiders would say, well, they've just done great. And then you speak to the entrepreneur and they're much harder on themselves. So it's also nice being somewhere where you can be kind of supported by a community, have people around you who can consistently remind you, you're doing great things. You know, the path might seem like it's diverging right now, but it's going to get back to where you want it to be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think though that entrepreneurs and ones that I look up to uh, as well, even if they're not, not entrepreneurs, people have just done very well in their lives. I mean, usually they have done well because they are so hard on themselves <laughs> and they keep on sort of like pushing themselves to, to, to do better. Like having this hunger, I think is really, um, is really important. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think like just going back to what you said, Aaron, being, you, you are hard on yourself, but then I always have to think about, okay, would I be that hard on someone else as I am to myself as well? Exactly. Which I think sometimes we need to reflect on. Um, yeah. especially as leaders, we're not always going to be as hard on our teammates as ourselves. And I have this conversation with people in the legal industry all the time who are employers in their legal business. And I say, you know, the idea that everybody in your law organization is going to be as bought into it as you are as the owner is, is going to be a difficult sell. There has to be different ways that we can motivate people who aren't necessarily mm. business owners. Of course, one of the great advantages that startups have is equity, especially for early folks in the business. You know, they are owners of the company and that does kind of provide a different motivation, but it's less so in traditional businesses, which I think is one of the things that we need to figure out in the future of work, this kind of both intrinsic and extrinsic motivation piece. Mm, absolutely. Raya, it was amazing having you on today. It's so nice that we could connect kind of quote unquote in person over this. And I know that a lot more people are going to hear about GigaPay because you're doing great things. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to, to have this time together, Aaron. Thank you again. Thanks again. Take care. Thanks for joining me. Bye-bye. Bye.